This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a man of It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! going to be an interesting hour. Jerry DePoto joins us coming up in 30 minutes. His team is not playing great baseball right now, so it'll be uh, a tough conversation, and we'll do that coming up at 8.30. Uh, everything you need to know in 15 minutes, but Seahawks, two-thirds of the way done here, Brock, with their mandatory mini-camp. Uh, what has emerged as the biggest storylines? Yeah, this is it, man. Hay goes in the barn today. This is it. And, and I remember this. This was a, this was a fun feeling. Like you feel like you put on, and this was back in the day when off season started in March and there were so many meetings and everything else. And, and yeah, this last day was a, a day of celebration because then you had two, three, four weeks to get away before training camp. So yeah, hay goes in the, in the barn today. And I'll give you four plus, plus one. Uh, number one. And I just looked at the video that you referenced. Mora, of course, found it. Uh, that's Jackson Smith and Jigba beating Dever, Devin Witherspoon down the sidelines. Now, to be fair, mm. Devin, it was a concept we see a lot. It's an inside fade route, a rub route, where the outside receiver comes in. Kind of a becomes, mesh, kind of a yeah, mesh concept. Kind, yeah, yeah, kind of a, a kind of a vertical switch release, you know, in, in that mesh point. And so Devin is playing catch up immediately, just based honestly on the structure of that route and mm-hmm. scheme. That's a really hard thing to cover, and to see those two guys flying down the sidelines, that jumps out to me. Because storyline number one is they've been very conservative with those two guys. That you know, fr- from the jump, from rookie minicamp all the way through the last five weeks, they have been very conservative. But if you were going to put a a wins above replacement, a war number, a baseball esque analytic on those two guys, Salk, those two have to combine for a win this season. Those two have to combine, you know, and and it's you know, it's only what seventeen games. Or to extrapolate and compare to 162 games where the very best in baseball. What 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 is a super high war number in baseball? Six, seven, Six. eight. You know, the, I mean, that's off the charts MVP stuff. So if they're both a half, you know, through 17 games, you can kind of extrapolate that out. They, they've got to be difference makers. And for Jackson, that's catching 50 plus passes this year. You know, assimilate and folding in there and, and doing them on third down. And and for Witherspoon, that's playing nickel. That's playing. That is being a a Tariq Woolen. That's a high bar. I mean, that's an awfully, awfully high bar. Mm-hmm. But that's and similarly coming in the league and being like, "Yeah, man, don't throw at me because because I'll I'll take it away I mean, from if you." You're so, the number five pick, like you should be at yep. that level. I mean, that that's what you should be getting if you're taking a corner at that spot. Yes. So that's storyline number one. Those two, they've been conservative, they've been careful. But I will say, watching that video yesterday, they were flying. Mm-hmm. It was full speed. So they've ramped them up to full speed here. Kind of probably want to see how they handle that workload. Both of them, by all accounts, have been awesome. And make sure they're raring and ready to go for training camp in six weeks. That's number one. Number two, yeah, my little eye test to Jamal is is he's going to play closer to the line of scrimmage this year. I don't think he's put on 10 or 20 pounds or anything like that. But look at his body type and compare it to the other linebackers. Compare it to Devin Bush, Compare it, uh, other than Bobby. He and Devin right? Bush are built pretty similarly yeah i mean you wouldn't know which one's a safety or linebacker right if you say hey one of these two is safety one's a linebacker yeah good luck picking that if you had no idea who they were what they were or anything else so i think you're going to see jamal again to that conversation of versatility and flexibility of positionless guys you're going to see him some weeks in some of these matchups i think in the box quite a bit and in in his best attribute is as a run stuffer 
So, uh, you know, that's going to be a storyline to follow absolutely throughout training camp. Can he come into camp and pass his physical? That will be huge for this team and for this defense. They didn't have him last year. They couldn't count on him. Clint Hurt didn't make excuses but said, yeah, there, there were a lot of things in this book that he could do that nobody else could. Mm. And hopefully he can hit the ground running again at the start of training camp. Uh, storyline number three is start counting the reps with the ones. Did you tell me that Olu took a bunch of reps at once? Yeah. Yep. Now, I didn't see Evan Brown at the inside portion, which is where I saw a lot of Olu doing that. So okay. I, I don't know whether it was because he was, you know, it's always hard to tell with these things. But I did see him out there with the ones for a while. Just like last year, we learned through rep count during this time of year and in a training camp that as much as Pete preached competition at mm-hmm. quarterback, it was Geno's job. He did all the lion's share of the number one reps throughout the whole offseason and camp. And which draft picks are getting the same kind of lion's share reps? Okay, right? so you, Not, do you want answers to those? Because, sure. I mean, from what I've seen, a yep. lot of reps for Olu, yep. a lot of reps for Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was uh, out there with Lockett and DK yesterday as the number three receiver. Yep. Uh, Witherspoon has been out there with the ones. Yep. Um, I've seen a lot of both Cameron Young and Mike Morris. Mm-hmm. Um, not always with the ones, but they're a lot. Mm-hmm. Derek Hall, I saw more with the twos. It was Boye Mafe and uh, Uchenna who were mm-hmm. out with the ones. Uh, uh, Daryl Taylor didn't practice yesterday. He was there but okay. wasn't practicing. Um, that, I guess that's what I would say. Those are yeah. the guys that I've seen kind of consistent. But that's a lot. I mean, that's a that lot sure of rookies is. working in pretty sure significant is. spots. And when you think of five rookie starters last year, and if you get another two or three this year, you mm-hmm. want to talk about a young core, bro? You want to talk about really going back to 10 and 11 and 12 and building a core of young players? And then because of that, having the the, the, the cap flexibility and the finances to go fill in the gaps in other spots, uh, that's all good news. Uh, last two uh, storylines here fairly quickly. Um, because, well, I'll give you number four, and then the other half one's obvious. Uh, number four is noise. Noise. Where is it organically going to come from? Is, is Bobby going to add volume in this second stint? Right. He, according to Derek Hall, like you screw up, <laughs> uh, Bobby's looking at you like, come on. Like, I'm not messing around anymore, man. Time is not on my side in my career. Do we hear a little louder? Maybe, Bob, you know, being who he is. But do we hear his bark a little bit louder than we did the first time around, surrounded by so much other noise? Can DK be a measured savage instead of a loose cannon? I think you heard from him yesterday. Like, yeah, that loose cannon, trying to be something I'm not, that's not who I am. But can he be a measured, absolute savage of a leader and voice and noise? I think he can be. And who up front, really, Mike, on both sides starts to roar? Dre and Jaron, do they got edge. There's no question. Both of those guys bring a swag and an edge. That you have heard privately that Abe Lucas behind the scenes got a lot of backbone, mm-hmm. got a lot of spine, a very, very big presence. But how much confidence and swag can come out of that group that has got to dig themselves out of a pretty massive hole, speaking of that defensive line? So that, that will be a storyline. It's hard to gauge without pads. Uh, you'll feel a lot more of that once training camp starts and that berm gets populated and the energy grows and right. You'll feel yeah. some more of that, but where does it come organically? Mm-hmm. So there's my four storylines. And then my little half one is Gino looks and feels like a different guy. I mean, that I mean, to me is the number one storyline, man. When you watch yep. him out there, it is a number one quarterback. It is Years QB ago, one. I remember being out there with Jake and like, looking at Gino and he was kind of duck footed and there wasn't much muscle and you could tell he didn't commit a lot to the off season. I'm like, bro, that is a bad body. There is not much going on there. Like, where is the, 
where's just you know the good muscle where's the good 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 weight and boy oh boy has he changed that came into camp better yet last year and this year and again he's rolling them sleeves up he's bouncing around but that dude his that dude has transformed his body and let alone his play and his confidence and all those other things, but just that eye test, you can man, see that's it, man. a different It guy. is a very, very different feel when he is out there. He looks like QB1 in a way that 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 is very, very obvious when he's out there. Pretty cool. All right, good storylines. We'll remember those, and uh, they're also up at seattlesports.com. If you're uh, more of a visual learner, you can go read what Brock uh, put together there. All right. Jerry DePoto in 20 minutes. Everything you need to know next. His team with a... <sighs> Another stinker yesterday. No other way to say it. It was ugly, man, but we'll discuss it and why it's going on next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. One of those girls singing in Wildcats, Brock. U G L Y. And you, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. You ugly. Yeah. You ugly. Well, no other way to describe yesterday in San Diego. <laughs> it is now five of eight games where the Mariners have been blowed out. They're slipping. They're below 500. They're falling out of the AL West race rapidly. They're not hitting. There's really nothing positive to say after that game. At the point in the season, you you want to put a nice run together. And you look at our team, and I think we're certainly capable of doing that. But it's a combination of things. You know, you need to have consistent starting pitching. You need guys in the bullpen to step up. But ultimately, you got to score runs. You know, it's going to take more than four hits uh, in a game, any game, to win it. And uh, that's been the the most frustrating thing. I thought we've had some good at-bats last night. Didn't really carry over into today. And uh, that's what it's going to take. I believe we have the team to do it. We have not done it so far this year. I know people get frustrated when they hear, you know, tipping a cap to the opposing pitcher. He was asked about Michael Walker yesterday, and I would not say he tipped the cap. He did. He's got a really good changeup, and he's been throwing the ball really well. Um, he's been leaning on his changeup more. He'll throw some fastballs first time through the lineup, first time through the order, and then after that, kind of get into the slow curveballs and the changeups, and that's his pitch. Um, you know, we didn't do much with it at all today. Um, you have to give him credit. Like I said, he is on a good roll. Uh, it's, um, you know, there's pitches there to hit. You know, we, we didn't get him to play or really do a whole lot of, with it. Um, you know, we did get something to hit. I mean, we've heard this word capable, right? Maniac, just got service. It is what they are going to say. Mm-hmm. It is what they not even have to say. It, you're in a position of leadership, leading this group of men, and you are not going to flinch, and you are not going to panic. But we, on the outside, can legitimately really question, are they capable? Is this lineup truly capable? I mean, Colton Wong's now at 424 OPS. He is flirting with that 400 number, which I have never seen in baseball. As you said, Suarez earlier is slugging 321, nearly his on-base percentage. Pollock continues to not hit. I mean, that is this group, Mike Ford, they're trying to give some run here and get some at-bats too. And I know it's a very small sample, but he's looking like he's looked once he's made that step from AAA to the majors over the course of his career. Are, is this true? Is this crew truly capable? That's a question that internally, and certainly with Jerry Depoto and the rest of them, They've got to honestly answer because right now at 30 and 31 and in this lineup in particular, I don't know if that answer is yes. Here's the second thing you need to know. Seahawks uh, working out yesterday. Uh, practice number two. I did find myself wondering how the heck the Jets could cancel their their minicamp. How do you cancel mandatory minicamp? 
And how, when was the last time you were in the playoffs? And what have you done? And who's in your division? It, it really is bizarre. Like, yeah, no, we're good. We just don't want to work out. We're, we're, we don't need to practice. Is it possible Aaron took the whole team to the darkness retreat? I, I mean, I get when they cancel, like, the last practice or something like that and go, you know, the movies or whatever. Like, that's cool. But... Now you do Canceling that. In, so all you do that of, in mini camp. You do that in training camp when guys are getting worn down. When it, you know you just feel the pulse of your team, and we need to go bowling. So you know what? We need to go do some. We need to golf. Just we need to go do all of it. Correct. Really bizarre. Anyway, it was fun watching the Seahawks. They look pretty good. And yes, we did see uh, a nice day for Jackson Smith and Jig. But DK Metcalf is just Brock. He is just like a different type of athlete like when you watch him out there it is crazy to see yep. uh you know who's a little undersized i think is dre jones and i'm kind of curious to see what that looks like yep. he looks quick and i know he's going to be able to get to the passer kind of curious to see what he looks like stopping the run Derek hall looks like exactly the opposite of that yep i would agree and it was such a great conversation we had with Derek. if you missed it truly like you and i don't say this all the time oh this was the greatest interview oh this mm-hmm. was a great we don't find ourselves doing that very much but i would say if any of the rookies that we have talked to in 15 years come on man that's a top five interview that guy was transparent and vulnerable his story is phenomenal he knows his ball he knows what he is he knows what he isn't and i think that's why these seahawks took him in the second round <laughs> here's the third thing you need you to and you know why what's seahawks at? announced a new team for their preseason media broadcast they make the move to king five this year for the preseason games no kurt menifee kate scott and mike robinson will do the games with help from mike bennett and then paul sylvie and kj wright will handle the pre and the post and the halftime etc so as for kate scott she currently does play-by-play for the 76ers she joined bump and stacy yesterday and she's got some seattle connection so excited uh, to get back to the pacific northwest because stacy uh, the first city that I ever flew to as a play-by-play announcer years ago. So I've been calling lots of sports, working my way up high school, college in the Bay Area. Uh, but the first time I ever got hired to call a game away from where I've been based uh, was up in Seattle. So that is pretty special to me that I'm coming back now. The uh, loudest game I was ever sideline reporter at was at Lumen Field. Nice. So it's, uh, it's pretty full circle just to be coming back to Seattle. She has worked her tail off, man. And if you can call Philly sports, right, and be a female voice there and break through that barrier, kudos to you. You have done an awful, awful lot. She, I've worked with her. She is a blast. I think fans will really enjoy her. I think Mike Robb and the booth and Mike Bennett, are, they're going to have a, a lot of fun. And good for KJ, taking yet again another step, not surprisingly, in his career. So he'll do some of that pre and post with Paul Selvig. Pretty, pretty cool. darn cool. All right, that is everything you need to know. We okay. do that quarter past every hour. Yes, sir. Okay. You want a quick little story time, by the way? Yeah. Speaking of these off days and like, oh, you know, when do we, you know, when, when do we give guys off days? Uh, I heard from a former teammate of mine when he was with the Broncos, became a pretty accomplished QB okay. and Hall of Famer. And he was debating with his head coach. And his head coach <laughs> thought during training camp it'd be a really good idea to take the team golfing. And this quarterback is like, uh, uh, John, no, it would not. It would not be a good idea. This is not a team of golfers. Like, this is a team of bowlers. And he's like, no, 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 no. I got an in. And the founder of Remax has built this private course in Colorado Salt that nobody plays. Like they, he only like has his buddies, like charity events. It is unbelievably beautiful okay. and pristine and as nice as a course as you can ever imagine. And the coach is like, no, no, no. You know, I talked to a friend of mine. He's, he's going to let us. And, and at that point, he's like, uh, John, this is a bad idea. I mean, this is bad. 
because he knows how unbelievable this is like the master's court. Like it is, it is the most pristine, never played. And we're going to bring a bunch of guys that have never played golf and going to just hack this course to, you know, what? And he's like, no, 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 we're doing it. We're, so they get the buses ready, right? They cancel whole drink camp practice. The buses are there, take players. And as you can imagine, disaster mm. in the driving carts in the sand right. bunkers. Like, oh my gosh, on the greens. Like, oh no, 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 don't do this. You know, just a total, total train wreck. So yeah, be careful when you're picking those off days <laughs> and, uh, and exactly what you think. The that Jets are, at least that was a bonding do. moment for the team. The Jets are just like, like, peace, we're out of here. We're good. Oh, nuts. What a weird, weird situation. All right. Well, there's nothing real positive to say this morning about the Mariners. That's for darn sure. It has been a rough, rough last week or so. They've been blown out in five of their last eight games. And with that as the background, we will talk to their GM or rather president of baseball operations, Jerry DePoto. He joins us next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, roll along. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. Obviously, the last uh, week has not been what anybody was hoping it would be for the Mariners with, uh, what, five blowouts here in the last eight games. So it's a, uh, a difficult spot that they find themselves in. And uh, right now we will speak to Jerry DePoto. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Morning, Jerry. Morning, guys. How's it going? Well, what uh, what's happening with your team right now? Uh, struggling madly is, is probably the easiest way to put it and virtually all facets of the game. You know, uh, it's you see uh, a bit of life in Tuesday's game against San Diego and, and give the life back on Wednesday. And, and that's kind of been uh, the, the rut we've been stuck in for some time now. Is you and your crew, Jerry, behind the scenes, kind of dig into the numbers, see things that we don't see, right? All of the work that you guys do behind the scene. What are the numbers, some of the numbers that are the most perplexing for you guys? Uh, I mean, by far the most perplexing is what has roughly been a power outage and uh, up and down our lineup. We have, uh, we are built to do damage. That's, that's what our lineup does. That's what the history of our players says they says that they are going to do. And, and we just haven't done that this year. And I, I wish I could tell you why, but it's, you know, it's roughly up and down the lineup with almost every hitter out there. And, you know, we, we talk about dominating the strike zone, our, you know, the bulk of our players, their strikeout and walk rates are in about the range that you would expect them to be. You know, some guys are, are, you know, underperforming in one area or another, but by and large, you know, what you get from a, a strikeout walk ratio, it's not terribly different than what you'd expect. What's really off right now with our team is the damage we're doing. You know, the isolated power, it's not just homers. You know, it's when, when we talk about dominating the zone, we talk about getting into good counts and doing damage when we're in those counts, you know, whether that is a first pitch fastball to go hit or two Oh two one count where you can really do some damage. And for virtually every hitter in our lineup, we have just struggled to do damage in those counts. Do you have a sense as to why? 
I wish I knew. You know, if I knew, we could turn the dial and fix it. And I know it's it's been something on the minds of our hitting coach, our, you know, Scott, our analysts, trying to figure out why. Because it's not just a little off; it's a lot. Uh, it, it's been it's been you know pretty extreme. Where we're looking at twenty five, thirty, in some cases, eighty percent declines in in isolated power. And, and I don't think you can chalk that up to, you know, a collective slump. There's something, you know, that just hasn't been right with our team for most of the season so far. And uh, I, my guess is that that as quickly as it happens, it resolves itself because that's sometimes how baseball works. But, you know, I, I can't point to any single reason why. These guys didn't get weaker. They didn't get older necessarily. You know, we're a year older. It's a, we're not, we're still one of the younger teams in our league. So, you know, to see the power dissipate like it has. And with it has gone our ability to consistently score runs because, you know, when you're not hitting the ball for extra base hits, it's, it's very hard to score crooked numbers in our league. Does that make you question the strategy of looking for a lineup that, that does damage? I mean, what, what does it make more sense to build a lineup that is about average or, you know, whatever other philosophy would 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 work? Yeah, I mean, you take what you can get is the, you know, we don't have a, a, I guess we don't have a slew of hitters in our league today that perform like an Ichiro or like a Rod Carew or like a Luis, you know, Arias. They're, they're just not a plenty. And, and I'm not sure that if you had eight of those guys, you'd be terribly, you know, good at scoring runs in, in modern baseball. You, you have to be able to do damage and, and to do damage, you make trade-offs. You know, you make trade-offs in batting average, you make trade-offs in strikeouts, and and you you build a philosophy around getting in those counts and doing that damage. And and by and large, we've gotten in those counts. We're just not doing that damage. And and that's where we need to, to see this thing flip a little bit as we move into the summer month. Jerry, I know it's delicate whenever you talk about individuals. It's much easier collectively in, in looking at the collective group and the struggles, but you know, to see Colton and AJ in particular, two guys brought in to, to, to join this new core and to just see, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, th- those are two guys whose numbers aren't a little bit off from their baseball card, long resume of baseball card. They are dramatically off. What do you see going on with those two? Again, you know, just like I see with the collective group, I, I wish I could give you a logical answer to that question. And Colton Wong entered the season with, with a, 260 career batting average is hitting 150. I, I don't know really how to answer that. We're two months into a season, you know, and this is a guy who's averaged 13 homers and, and 25 plus doubles with, with bags, you know, he steals almost 20 bags a year and, and he has not done those things. And, you know, AJ Pollock over the last three years is a 600 slug against left-hand pitching. You know, right now it's, it's, a, a very low number. I think it's 120. <laughs> so it's, I don't, you can't, those aren't numbers that you can make up. And, and it's not just AJ and Colton, you know, it's, it's up and down our lineup. It's guys who've been here. It's guys who were brought in. And, you know, I'd like to tell you that, that I feel great about the off season moves we make. It's impossible to tell you that they haven't really driven our team or, or helped to, to achieve what we wanted to achieve. And, and frankly, that's I, I can't really cite them as as the the biggest problem. The biggest problem is it's happening collectively to our offensive club. Talking to Jerry Depoto here on Seattle Sports on seven ten. So, what does accountability look like in a situation like this? 
I guess I don't understand what the question is. Accountability, you know, I'm accountable for putting the players on the field that 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 are underperforming. You know, the the players are accountable to to upholding their approach, and uh, that's all we ever ask of them is to to uphold the approach. But you know, we don't and can't focus on the, the week to week. We have had a crummy week, and there's no getting around that. Emotion in sports generally flies to the point where, you know, if if we have a two and six week like we've just had, you know, eight games where we've underperformed to the extreme that we have, people get upset, and that's the way it works. You know, the the previous week when we were seven and three, there wasn't as much emotion. You know, right now we are in the middle of the emotion. And when people experience, you know, negative emotion, they're looking for somebody to blame. You know, I don't really know anybody to blame but me. It, this is this is what we put together, and we're a 500 team. I, I don't think uh, we intended to to be a 500 team by the time we got to this point in the season. I don't think this makes us a bad team. I think it makes us a very talented team who has struggled a lot, especially in the batter's box, and and we have to find our way out of it because we do have the talent. On the flip side of that has been pitching over the majority of this season that has done more than their end of the bargain has really been phenomenal, both starting and in the bullpen. Uh, this last week is is taken a bit of a beating at, at times. I'm just curious: is there a league making adjustments? You know, for a, for a Bryce Miller that was just on a historic rate, uh, have you seen the teams maybe two of the last couple starts start to make some adjustments with his game? No, I, you know, I think that is more uh, reflective of the fact that Bryce just faced the Yankees and the Rangers. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I don't know anybody going better than the Rangers right now. And uh, it's tough to see a lineup any better or, or more consistent in putting together good at-bats than that one. And and we caught the Yankees at a time when, you know, a non-traditional you know, Yankee lineup was particularly hot. And And Bryce, as we talked about, I think, last week, was in a stretch of outings where he was pitching on the fifth day uh, for consecutive starts, I think four consecutive starts, for the first time in his career. So, you know, we watched a little bit of a decline in velocity, a little bit of decline in fastball effectiveness. And, you know, the result was he had short outings. And and when you have young pitchers, you know, that's you're going to experience some turbulence. That's just the way it goes. And it doesn't always go as smooth as, you know, roughly 25, 30 starts of, of George Kirby's major league career where, where it looks seamless. More often than not, you're going to get a little bit of turbulence, and I think that's what you saw with Bryce. Jerry, uh, in just reading through some of the, the responses we get, there's a lot of, of conversation about expectation with this team versus where they've ended up being. Have your expectation, or where they've been so far, I should say, how have your expectations for the team in this season changed over the course of the last two months? Uh, you know, they changed day to day. And, and, you know, what I said earlier, the only expectation that, that I can have today or, or tomorrow, so to speak, is go out and take good at bats, put yourself in a good position. And I, I've, I've talked about this before. You know, it's, I think last week we talked about the juxtaposition of a pitching staff versus, you know, a lineup. There's not a magic hitting coach that's going to come in and sprinkle pixie dust. Nobody's going to walk out into the clubhouse and flip a table and yell, get hits. And, and all of a sudden they're going to start hitting. It's about having a consistent approach and the hitters don't have as much control over that as the pitchers do. 
they are reliant on the opposing pitcher, you know, to, to give in, to, to feed them something that they can handle or hit. And when it doesn't happen with consistency, they press. And, you know, my goal for our team tomorrow is to not press because if we don't press, we're going to find that things start coming to us. The strikeouts do start to drop. The runs do start to pile up. And I, I can't, sit here as a as as a president of baseball operation overseeing what we do and say we have to win 10 of the next 12 games that's that's an impossible goal but it is possible to just control what's there for us which is putting ourselves in a position to do damage when we can and jerry i know i've asked you this before and i apologize i just gotta you know ask it again because it comes up in in different conversations and the way you just frame that right there with pitchers the pitchers are in so much of the control and, and dictate so many times and especially the elite ones how then can you if they're in control can you control the zone you know is, is that a philosophical you know possibility to really in sustainability to really control the zone if that pitcher so often is actually the one in control Absolutely. You know, you have the ability and we have effectively, we have strategies for what to do, how to do it. And, you know, zero issue with, with pitchers going out. And this is different. You know, when we talk about dominating the zone for our pitchers, we want to go out and dominate strike one. We throw strike one, we win the one, one count and put the opposing hitter down one and two. If that happens, it happens for elite teams about 60% of the time. So, you know, my general take is 40% of the time, the hitter is going to be at advantage in in that period of time. When we have the advantage, when the ball is in the court of the hitter, we have to be focused enough to isolate in the zone and do our damage. And, you know, there are, you know, public metrics that do track it. You know, ISO number, which you can find on fan graphs, is about the best measure of this. When, when you get into those counts, it's the damage you do that, that we're looking for. We're not looking for you to magically come up with a walk. You know, we're not looking, you know, just simply foil, make contact, find a way to extend in a bat because you're going to get in a position to do some damage. And, you know, dominating the zone isn't simply about walk more, strike out less. It's about what you do with your opportunity. You know what I hear, actually, and, and I kind of chuckled at the time when the coach said it to me. This was years ago, Jerry, the coach hit uh, Vanderbilt. He got elevated from a great D coordinator to the head coach. And I said, hey, you're coming to Vanderbilt. You know, what is going to be your brand? You know, what, what, what is going to be your culture? And he's in this big meet and he says, our culture is we earn the right to rush the passer. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that, that's awesome from a D coordinator standpoint, but you're now the head man running the whole show. I don't know what that does to the offense, but it's the same mentality that you earn the right. Defensive coaches say this, we got to earn the right to rush the passer. That means on first and second down, we do our jobs. So then we can go do damage on third down. Is that really what I kind of hear using a football analogy is that, hey, you've got to earn the right to get to a 2-1 count. And when you do, you've got to do damage with it. That's right. And, you know, I, I think if you watch Tuesday night's game against San Diego, despite the fact that we scored, you know, we, we only scored four runs, we did a phenomenal job of driving counts, of creating opportunities. And, you know, we still struck out. But, you know, we, we put ourselves in position to do damage. And then when we got in that position, we did it. And, you know, that's we knocked the starter out early. We drove pitch count. That's what Mariners offense looks like when it's going. And and then yesterday we came out and we didn't do that. And you know, I, I, I don't know why maintaining that focus or sustaining that approach from day to day has been so hard for our team. 
but it has been. And, you know, that's where we need to see our adjustment. And it's, it's, I said, up and down the lineup. It's not Colton Wong or AJ Pollock. It's not Tommy LaStella or the fact that we didn't sign a DH. It's that collectively we are all underperforming. And it started with me and putting together the roster and believing that we, we were in a position to, to do this collectively. And we haven't done it. And, and I wish I had a better explanation for we're not old. The back of the baseball card is, is proof positive that these guys are good major league players. And uh, sooner or later, we'll get to that. I don't think that, that we've seen the ends of the productive careers of Gino Suarez and Teoscar Hernandez and, and Colton Wong and, and up and down. I, I, it's, I, I refuse to believe that we just watched a complete lineup of good major league players you know, stop being good major league players. It, it's illogical. So what is what is the state of the clubhouse then? How how would you characterize kind of the the mood, et cetera, in the clubhouse now? You know, frustrated. I, I think a week or two ago on the show I mentioned that generally speaking, you know, when when JP's going, that's when we go. It's and it's not necessarily and I, I think I referenced this. it's not about JP's offensive skills. It's not him putting the ball in play, hitting the key homer, is that his energy, his what he brings, oftentimes is reflective of of what's happening in our clubhouse. You know, when he's got his swag going, the rest of the group generally has theirs. It's hard to have your swag going when you're getting taken out back to the woodshed, you know, every other day, it's, it's just hard. And in an everyday game, this isn't, you get beat up on Sunday, you you lick your wounds, go through a practice week and come out with vengeance a week later. You got to show up again tomorrow after wearing your O for four with three strikeouts and get after it again. And, you know, right now we have we have a group that is frustrated. I'm sure we have a group that is staring in the mirror, trying to figure out what it is they can do to get their own season going. And, you know, I think that's the when you're in June and roughly all of your offensive players are looking in the mirror, trying to figure out what they can do to get their season going. Your clubhouse probably isn't where it needs to be simply because the team focus isn't where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, when when we have so many guys who are underperforming their historic norms, your natural inclination, and I can't blame a single player for thinking of this. When they wake up, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, it's June and I'm hitting 150. They're, oh, my gosh, it's June and I have the highest strikeout rate of my career. Oh, my gosh, and I could, I could do this up and down our lineup. And, and I think it's reasonable that when they wake up, their first thought is, how am I going to get myself going? And when our clubhouse is right, it's when all of them are, are chipping in to, to contribute to something greater than themselves. And, and right now that's really hard to do because of the complete nature of our struggle. Even through some of these struggles, is this where you are thankful, Jerry, that you can lean into the continuity and trust that you've had with Scott for decades and decades? Yeah, I, there's this is the same manager who's finished, you know, in the top three and manager of the year for the last two years. <laughs> you know, it's a, with roughly the same group of players that he has today. And you know, I, I I don't I don't think Scott got worse as a manager. I don't think you know, frankly, I don't think that this is permanent. I, I think we have a, an incredibly talented group of players still sub twenty eight years old on average age up and down our our roster, which is you know, by the standards of our league, a young team. And, 
And I don't think we're, we've seen, you know, the end of, of the Mariners being a good competitive contending club. And I, and I think Scott has shown over time, I, don't worry, we'll get where we need to go. Sustainability, trust in one another, communication, it, it's, it all matters. And, and I do trust them. I believe that, that this group will solve it. And, you know, you can't, you can't just trade in a plan. You can't trade in a team. And, and I don't know, you know, frankly, this is going to sound a, a little bit, uh, I guess, perhaps uh, a little bit off to say, I'm betting that if we called 29 other clubs and asked, would you like to trade rosters, what it looks like today and for the next five or six, eight years, we'd have a lot of takers. So, you know, I, I guess what I would preach downstairs is, guys, solve it. You know, continue to focus on doing the things that, that we do and we'll continue to be you know, consistent in what we do. And, and that's all we can do is, is message it consistently and wait for it to turn because the players are too, talent for, too talented for it not to. So I, I guess what I hear there, and it's something we've talked about over the last week or so, but I want to kind of clarify it, is, you know, if you start thinking about plan versus execution versus results, that the plan in your view was okay, the execution and or the results have not followed? Well, I, I think that's 100% correct. And, you know, it's a, we've, this is, this is how you build rosters. You know, you, you did draft and develop. I've, I've said this over and over on these airways. That's what we do. And, you know, Roughly 80% of the production in, in major leagues today comes from players that were acquired via the draft, developed, or traded for and added to a core. And, you know, and we're on the extreme end of that. You know, we, we do very well in, in, in those areas. Uh, you don't make your hay by building teams in free agency. And you know, right now we're watching a couple of teams in the league that have went out and, and poured it in in free agency. You know, one of them is, is riding high and multiple of them are riding low. It's, it's, and you could be on either end of that spectrum. We believe in our roster building model. We believe in our development model. We believe in our players. And, you know, I, I, it's why I truly believe that, that over the course of the summer, you're going to see some of this reverse itself. I just hope we didn't dig ourselves such a big hole that we can't claw out. Hey, last two things for me here, uh, Jerry, and appreciate, honestly, the transparency to time where, you, as you said, it's been been a tough week and a tough stretch mm-hmm. here. Uh, Marco Gonzalez, we read it as good news. It's not attached. The, the flexor to the UCL, is, is that a misread on our part? Is it still a wait and see a little bit? Oh no, it's it's good news. I think the the it's it's good news anytime you know a, a pitcher experiences any kind of discomfort, elbow, shoulder, or the like, and and doesn't require going for surgery. To be honest with you, and so you know, I, we take it as a positive. It, it gives us a little runway with a young pitcher to see what he can do, and and I think we'd all like to to see Marco sooner than later. And my understanding is that. He's going to enter a throwing program here shortly if everything goes well, and then we'll get a better gauge on when that might be. And then lastly, just and I know this is difficult because we're still in early June here as far as just the market goes and assessing your team and fixing your team and anything else. Do you have any sense and feel yet for what the rest of the league is doing and kind of how do you characterize where, where the market could be based on the results and productivity we've seen, and especially in the American League? 
Uh, you know, I don't know. And we've, we have had teams uh, check in. We have checked in with a number of teams and what I would call preliminary, uh, you know, trade deadline conversations. It's impossible for us to assess where we will be. And, and this is just being honest. We could go out and acquire prime Babe Ruth and, and and it's not going to help us. <laughs> we have, we're not one player away or, you know, one magic salve from, from fixing this. This is a commitment from 26 players on a roster to, to, to reverse our course. And, and if we, you know, between now and the end of July, if we show progress in that way, then we'll go out and solve what problem, you know, or problems we can solve. But we're not going to flip out our roster for, for six or eight new players. Uh, again, I feel we are young, we are sustainable, and we are struggling. And, you know, the worst time to make decisions is when you're at your worst. So uh, I, I think the appropriate measure is take a deep breath, watch what's happening around the league for these next 30, 40 days, and, and put yourself in a position to, to make a difference when it, when it comes that time. But, you know, to think, oh, my gosh, we need to trade all these guys and start over, that's absurd. We, we built this. It's a good team. We're coming off back-to-back 90-win seasons. We're 500. We're, we're not – we don't have 15 wins today. You know, we just had a really crummy week. Jerry, thank you. Appreciate the transparency. Appreciate your thoughts on this. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week, hopefully uh, in a better spot. Thank you. Okay, guys. All right, there you go. There's Jerry DePoto. Obviously, uh, Brock, a little different tone and tenor, and I think you hear, I, I think, a lot of transparency from Jerry there. Um, let's talk through that because there was a lot of things to get to there. We'll do it next. Man, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.